When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, very important ACC Big Ten Pac-12 alliance that will change the shape of the sport week. <laughs> Definitely. Very Happy. much a, a official thing that has, you know, contracts written out and, and details. Um, happy last week of the offseason for uh, college football fans. Uh, happy, uh, I mean, not as happy for college basketball fans on the Syracuse side, but, you know, we'll get to that. Um, but overall, excited to, to be just one, uh, a couple of days away from, from the start of college football. Not for us, but in general, college football starts on Saturday. How crazy. Yeah, happy, uh, ha- happy handshake agreement alliance. Yes, uh- happy. I looked those other men in the eyes and that said that we're going to have a very informal agreement to help each other maybe again keep this in mind when the big 10 offers georgia tech or usc or somebody else oh yeah it's definitely going to prevent that like you can tell they're they're all very very uh they're very just no one wants to to upset the apple cart that's been how college football has always been and i'm sure that'll hold going forward yeah so for those who didn't see uh pac-12 big 10 and acc announced today their um rumored alliance um, around scheduling, most important to me, perhaps, um, if that ever happens, but um, more just, you know, basically talking through the college football playoff um, expansion, whatever that looks like, um, certain things on athlete rights. That's really going to be it. I, I I don't see this as being all that impactful. I think this is the, the, the only place this is really of any importance at all is is around um, the college football playoff and just making sure that the SEC doesn't have an outsized, you know, uh, stake in that versus the other conferences. But I, I, I don't think this is all that important of a thing. And I, I think most thought that this was potentially a, a pretty unimportant thing um, going in and, and the conference is kind of delivered, especially when they revealed that there was no signed deal on any of this. It's really, I don't even know why they bothered announcing this. Right. Like obviously it was in the works it had been reported for a couple of weeks. Um, I know Nicole Auerbach's been kind of on the uh, tip of the spear on that. But like, if you don't have anything that's signed and dotted and has like actual hard details, which they clearly don't, because even on the scheduling portion, which is the part that will probably play most directly into the lives of fans, because we, you know, hopefully this makes for some good for like made for TV uh, cross conference games every year. But even those aren't going to be like, it sounds like they're not going to be scheduled until everyone's kind of worked through their current scheduling arrangements, which as we know, and talk about all the time um, for many schools, it's like 10 years in the future. So like, what, what is this going to do? We're going to get new games in 2033. Like, Oh, exciting. Great. So yeah, it's just like, I don't know why you make this big grand announcement, even if everyone knew it was in the works until you have a something signed, like, I don't know, maybe sign a, uh, you know, a, a pretty hard, uh, ironclad we will not poach each other deal um with within those three conferences that'd be great for the acc in pac 12 i think maybe not so much for the big 10 maybe that's why they wouldn't agree to something like that but we don't even know if they were 
if that was even something that came up. But beyond that, like, I don't know why you even bother putting out a press release about it when there's, like, even on the scheduling front, is so little locked in and, and nothing has been signed as as was made clear in the in uh, questions on that Zoom call. So, yeah, just a really bizarre press conference to even have. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not against a scheduling alliance or a, whatever you want to call this thing between these two conferences. I think you do need to do something to keep the SEC from basically running roughshod over the whole sport. And I think... Obviously, the Big 12 is kind of on the way out as a power conference, but I I think the sport can survive that. But I don't know if they can survive dropping down to two or three power conferences. I don't think that would be good. So doing something to keep, you know, the ACCs and the Pac-12s of the world alive is good. It's just like you, you look almost weaker when you announce something without any teeth, like like what this was. So, yeah, just a, a very strange, strange day. I'm not sure what to even make of it. Like, I don't even know. Like, if this could be one of those things that, like, is announced one day and then, and, like, I think Lauren Proudlow made this joke, like, you know, in a year from now, like, this could be one of those things that was announced and then nothing ever comes from it. Just because there's literally nothing holding anyone to anything. Yeah, I feel like uh, in, in some ways this is, you know, going back some decades, well, not decades, but like a decade of, I know there was the, what was it? There was the Mountain West Conference USA idea. Uh, and I feel like there were a few, like, other, like, informal agreements that were, like, that just kind of came apart before they ever came together. And I feel like this is one where like, sure. Like if you guys, like like you guys didn't need to announce the fact that you're opposed to the SEC getting an outsized level of importance in the playoff. We already knew that. And and realistically everything else is like, that sounds like the NCAA. So are you replacing it? Because if so, you might need to include some other conferences. It's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to get excited about anything because all the all the press release was was like we've all talked to each other and uh, we have literally a handshake agreement to eventually schedule some games and also be a voting block. What happens if there's uh, something comes to a vote? The Big Ten doesn't agree with the ACC and the Pac-12 on like what what is holding them to whatever this agreement was? There's nothing. Like it, it, it's there's just like there's nothing in what was announced today that means anything beyond like platitudes and vague ideas. So. Again, I don't disagree with the, with the notion of having a scheduling alliance. I think getting the Big Ten involved is good because they are obviously the the other big power conference uh, that can almost rival the SEC in terms of money and, and resources. So keeping them in lockstep with the ACC and Pac-12 is a good idea. But uh, it, it just there's nothing holding them to like not like as you said before going and and floating an offer to Georgia Tech and North Carolina or Virginia or whomever. So um, yeah, if, if they had announced that today. And they were like, yeah, we've agreed that, uh, you know, these 41 schools are going to stay in their conferences and we're going to work through uh, issues and, and whatever. But mostly like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC will not be approaching each other. Um, and I don't know that they would even like, I don't know, if there was anything on paper uh, with regard to that, it would be pretty significant. But like just there's just nothing. So, yeah, it, it, it got ridiculed pretty uh, widely today from what I saw on Twitter. But and it kind of deserves it because it it, it just seems very uh, loose and and mockable at at least. Agreed. Um, not to belabor too much, we'll jump to one other news item before we get to our Syracuse football season preview. As many uh, we're probably waiting for here. Um, the other note over the weekend: uh, top inbound recruit uh, Kamari Lands for Syracuse. Uh, now top decommit uh, Kamari Lands. Uh, I, I think that a lot of fans are, are are definitely not happy. I think NIL is getting a, a, a lot of the uh, 
the flack for this. And I, I think that that's silly in, in some regard. I mean, I definitely think that, you know, Lance brings up a good point just around wanting to be recruited with NIL in mind at the same time. Like if you're that good, you're probably a one and done anyway. Most areas are going to be able to provide the same general access to, um, you know, NIL opportunities uh, just based on like local businesses and things like that. Like there's not going to be a ton of, of national NIL um, deals unless you're like the number one recruit coming in, the number you know top five recruit coming in, and you're at Duke and you get all the hype that like someone like Zion Williamson got. I think you know re- realistically, maybe he's chasing something that doesn't exist. Maybe he just ends up you know heading to uh, the G League uh, in, in, instead. I, I think that ultimately, like he's clearly a good player. You know, SU fans are pretty excited about him. I think this is a, a big blow to the, uh, the the ticker tape parade. That, that fans were, were throwing mere weeks ago. And and I think that at the same time, they can probably recover. I think that this is probably the way things, you know, start moving for, for recruiting. And, and, and SU is going to be, as long as they have their ducks in a row and NIL, will continue to compete for the same caliber of player, but will also have to compete with, you know, the sales pitches for NIL, the sales pitches for the G League, the sales pitches for playing abroad. Um, and, and if the NBA decides to lower the the entry age, like there's a lot of factors that potentially hurt SU's ability to bring in the top players. And, and that's not necessarily a terrible thing if if most of the other top programs are also affected by it. Yeah, it should be a thing where most programs are affected. Like obviously the NIL could end up skewing things one way or another, but they were already pretty well skewed. Like Duke and Kentucky have been basically signing the top classes every year, um, mostly Duke recently. Um, I don't think uh, a couple extra NIL opportunities in Durham are going to make things radically different. Um, It was interesting to see him cite that directly because like, I don't know exactly what getting recruited with NIL in mind means because I don't think coaches are allowed to be like, well, if you come here, you can, you know, get a a deal with whatever, you know, auto shop or whatever. Uh, I think that kind of stuff is supposed to come after. Um, obviously, I'm not naive enough to think that that won't be happening. But it was interesting to see a player put it out there um, because I don't think that's what I think it's simply allowed um, based on what the NIL agreement is. But you know, so so be it. Um, overall, though, like I think we're just going to see recruiting get really messy um, because there are so many new opportunities. Obviously, the G League has opened up. We've seen this like overtime elite thing where where guys are getting million dollar offers. You have the league in Australia that's been trying to draw in. Uh, high caliber recruits for a year before they go to the NBA. You see all these other things that are kind of popping up now as alternate options for college basketball. And like, hopefully if anything, the NIL will help combat that and keep college basketball as a viable option for top players. Um, but it's, it's going to get messy when like guys can just, it's not just like college basketball as the only real option in which case a guy makes a decision. Maybe he'll flip, but most likely when he makes a decision, he has it. Um, like now there's just so many things that could pop up after he's made a commitment, like, like Lance did that it probably makes it really difficult to like know exactly what your class looks like at a different time. So it's definitely uh, something to adjust to. And it's not a Syracuse problem as much as it is just the way of the world right now. Um, but it's also, as you said, it's not great when uh, so many people were putting their, their, you know, hats on the fact that Syracuse had recruited, uh, had an uptick in recruiting lately. It's like, yeah, that's great. But Hey, it doesn't really matter until the guys get to campus. And even, even then, like, it doesn't really matter until the guys have played their first game because we've seen people, you know, in, even in football, like this year, leave campus before after enrolling. So, um, yeah, it's just 
it's obviously we're in kind of uncharted territory with how recruiting, especially in college basketball works. Um, so I don't want to get like too uh, overly aggressive in terms of like, you know, making this like a Bayhound can't recruit thing. I don't think that's fair, but um, also like, we're going to have to start getting used to like not uh, counting on someone being here until like we see them in the Jersey tip, you know, balls tip for game one and then hope they don't get hurt and do uh, like a Jalen Johnson thing or, like it's it's going to be a lot harder to keep guys all the way through the process, and and hopefully eventually this will settle down and everyone will have like a good idea of what their options are, and you'll just have a better sense of what the cycles look like. But right now we're in a very chaotic time, so um, unfortunately it's not that surprising when you have a kind of an un uh, or a unanticipated decommitment like that. Even you know I know he hadn't visited and whatnot, but um, yeah, just uh, not great news. But also it's it's I think this is going to be the way of the world for a little bit now. Yeah, agreed. And you know, it's not to not to say I told you so because we didn't. But I, I do think that um, I, I'm glad that you and I did not uh, <laughs> did not start rolling out the parade um, <laughs> too early. And and, and that I, I think, unfortunately, um, expecting the worst usually at least sort of lessens your uh, your disappointment when it happens. It's not even expecting the worst. It's just like we've been burned so many times by top commits in the last couple of years that like. I'm 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 thrilled. I'm pumped for Benny Williams. You cannot expect someone 100% to be there like you could five years ago when they committed. Like it's just not, it's not reasonable. As Syracuse says, especially like we know this. There there have been so many things that have happened with players that were supposed to come here. Um, and I know like people were hedging their bets after the Lands news because um, his commitment in general was kind of curious. Uh, but still, like you can't you can't both like jump to the rooftops because we have a couple four stars coming in. And then when one D commits, be like, Oh, we didn't actually expect that. Like, yeah, we did. <laughs> like we, he committed. So um, I don't think you take his commitment if you think he's going to turn around and do this. Um, but at the same time, like I, I, I do think this is going to become something that's way more common and it's going to happen to other schools. Um, it's probably happened more to other schools than we even realize as we're not as teed in on them. Um, but yeah, it's just college basketball is in a very, very weird place, way more so than college football, even though stuff in football is also done weird. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I think we will settle into some kind of groove with all this stuff. It's just going to take a while because so much new, thing, so many new opportunities have popped up for players, um, both with NIL and all the other leagues, uh, all at once. So it's it's really crazy. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um, yeah, not to belabor anymore. Uh, we can head on to our uh, Syracuse football preview, Dan. And uh, what we'll do here is we'll talk about the offense, go position by position, uh, talk about some things that we see think like um and all that uh we'll get into the defense special teams in the second half and then we'll see how much time we have but we might be limited to just kind of a record that we see happening um and i guess depending on what that record is you know whether or not uh, we see this staff continuing past this year so i was going to jump in here just right away uh just talking quarterback i know that that's the kind of thing on everybody's mind uh, Dino Babers had some comments yesterday uh, that seemed to suggest that both quarterbacks um, and both being Tommy DeVito um, and Garrett Schrader, that both will play this year. Uh, we could see Schrader potentially, um, you know, thrown in um, in some sort of special packages, maybe in like a Taysom Hill type deal um, or potentially like, you know, just in relief if a game gets out of hand one way or the other. Uh, in any case, it seems like DeVito still has the the upper hand, as we, we've kind of said for months. Uh, because he's familiar with the offense. Uh, I Dan, I guess there's no refuting DeVito's head. Do you think that do, do you think that, that that he can put up the numbers required 
over the first like couple games to keep the job. And I guess, where do you think that, like, where do you think that Babers draws the line in terms of production if, if DeVito's just not getting it done uh, to make a switch? Um, I think it's going to be really interesting because we haven't really seen Babers with his back against the wall entering a season like this with everyone healthy. Like, obviously, you could argue last year, but last year stuff was so crazy with COVID and everything that it was hard to um, really make a, a sound judgment. And also the fact that every single important player on the team got hurt. Um, it was, you know, I think it was a fair move to bring him back for this year. Um, this season, I think it's it's clearly make or break. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how long the leash is for Tommy, assuming he does start week one, um, given that. Because Schrader, um, as, as Dino said, he's going to have a role. I think that's pretty clear based on the fact that he's spoken to the media multiple times. Uh, usually Dino keeps eyes under wraps, um, especially if they're not big players in the team. And the fact that Schrader's had multiple media sessions does make it seem like he's going to have some role here, whether it's like a goal line uh, quarterback type deal or a Taysom Hill like deal, or like just throwing a change up out there. I don't know how I necessarily feel about that. I kind of like to know who my quarterback is and roll them out there. But I also think like if we get to week, if we, if we're entering that uh, Albany game um, and DeVito has not looked good against Ohio or Rutgers, like it wouldn't surprise me if that's when you make, make the switch, honestly, because you like, if we're, if we're owing too much Albany, like you can't, the 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 chance of a bowl game are getting so slim uh, that you need to do something drastic. If it's if it's Davida's been shaky and he like looked okay, like pretty good in Ohio, but you know kind of mediocre against Rutgers, and we go one and one, then maybe he, he hangs on and you know hopefully he, he puts up big numbers in Albany, and then we see what happens with Liberty. But um, it wouldn't shock me to see uh, a pretty quick switch just because I do think Babers knows he has to coach for his job, um, and as attached as he is to Davido, it's his guy. Um, I don't think there's going to be that much leeway for anybody. I think uh, if, you, if you're just going to need to win games, especially early on, it's, those first four games are so important this year. Um, I don't know that we can uh, afford to really linger on, on a, a move if we have to make it. Now, hopefully that isn't the case. Hopefully, DeVito looks like the guy that he's looked at like at times uh, during his career when he's been healthy and when he's had a full complement of players around him. But, you know, that's anyone's death at this point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've seen, to be honest, like so little of DeVito with a competent line. Um, and, and 100% help that it's it's really hard to project at this point, like what exactly we're getting from him, what exactly we're going to see from him. I do think that w- when he's got a clean pocket, like many quarterbacks, he's able to deliver some nice strikes. Uh, I, I just think that he deserves the shot to do it here uh, with, with what should be a better offensive line. Uh, I, I, I do agree with you, though. I think realistically, like if I'd say as soon as the first half of the Rutgers game, even like if, if Tommy struggles against Ohio and is struggling in the first half against Rutgers, I think you might have to pull the plug that early. I mean, it, it's, it sucks. It obviously like he was a key part of kind of turning the, the vibe around, um, you know, early uh, for fans um, in, in the Dino Babers era. But at the same time, like at some point, you know, you, you have to, you have to make a switch and that's why you brought in Schrader so that you could make that switch as soon as this year, if you needed to, instead of waiting till, you know, next year or the year after when Babers and staff might not be here anymore if they don't win games. So I, I think that, that DeVito's going to have a very short leash. I don't necessarily think that the Taysom Hill type situation and putting Trader under center anytime you're inside the 20 is going to work um, just because it creates this problem of like DeVito potentially leading you down the field and then putting you in position to score and then letting Schrader uh, be the guy to deliver you to the promised land. Like I, I, I think it, having too much of an actual split quarterback setup up um, could create some issues, but 
um, using in some, some packages here and there if DeVito is successful um, and just getting Schrader some, some reps could be useful. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to do Schrader time before like a switch has been made, I think it's like you start the drive with him and see what he can do and, and you're calling different stuff and it's a much different look for the defense. I don't think it makes any real sense to like telegraphing so much to where Schrader's in a doe and you're like, all right, well, he's going to run zone read and uh, you're just going to like kind of show your hand. Um, and also if DeVito dri- drives on the field, he deserves to like get the shot to store. So um, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I'm. It's funny because like, the, the context of this season has really colored what the quarterback position looks like. Because if this was like year three of Babers and you had um, two pretty experienced veteran quarterbacks, uh, both very different. And then you had two young guys um, like Lamson, who I know we're both very high on uh, as a freshman and also Jacoby Morgan, who like all things considered looked pretty impressive at times last year in an impossible situation. Um, I think like, if you just remove the context of what this season means, like you probably said this is the, the healthiest the quarterback room has been since 2018. And maybe even before that, just given um, kind of the exciting nature of some of those young guys. Uh, but because it's so key to trying to get to like that sits win mark this year, that it does scare you. Um, and, you know, it's maybe we get through this year and we look pretty good and Babers hangs on. And then we're like, all right, well now we have a really exciting future at quarterback. Um, or someone, you know, inherits a really interesting room. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's funny because, like, I'm just looking at the names here and what we uh, saw at times from Morgan last year and what we know DeVito could do at his best and what Lampson looked like. I mean, he's probably my favorite Syracuse quarterback uh, prospect in a couple of years now, probably since DeVito, honestly. Um, it should be more exciting than it is, but instead we're just all very stressed about it. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Um Moving out to the running back position a little bit, because I know we want to make sure we get everything. And um, running back, I think people are actually pretty high on. I think there's one if there's one position on the offensive side, at least, that people are pretty optimistic about. I think it's the running backs. Um, while the numbers don't necessarily bear out like a great season last year, uh, you know, you, you look at uh, Sean Tucker and you look at Cooper Lutz, um, who ended up being like the surprise one-two punch um, for SU in the run game last year, while, you know, NC State really shut down the run game. Um, pretty well. I, I think overall, like the run game definitely looked better in the second half of the year. You know, Tucker and Lutz both averaged more than four, 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, they definitely looked the part. Tucker in particular just had this great vision between the tackles. Um, that was awesome to see. And we haven't really seen consistently um, in some time. And that's no offense to, to, to Mo Neal at all, um, who was just a different type of back. But I, I, I do like those two. I, I really would like to see Lutz become more of a like, you know, H-back type out of the backfield. Um, and then Abdul Adams and Jarvie and Howard are both back um, after sitting out last year. I think Howard seems like at least uh, by some accounts to be somebody getting a few more reps uh, in practice. And I think, you know, you could really punish some defenses um, with, with Howard, who's more of a bruiser in between the tackles, and, and Tucker, who's both big and fast. I think the two of them, and then having Adams and Lutz um, available to you to really keep the looks varied. Um, at least helps out whoever's under center and, and make sure that, you know, this, this season and this offensive attack isn't all on them. Um, Cause really I, I see this team leaning pretty heavily on the running game. Yeah. I think this is our, our deepest group um, just based on the fact that you really only have one guy, maybe two, if you split what what's out wide on the field at a different time, but we know uh, that Adams can be in every down back. Um, if he can stay healthy, which is obviously the, the key for everybody on this team. Um, we know Jarvin Howard can be a pretty effective every down back. I suspect Adams could as well. Lutz was was really like kind of a low-key revelation behind Adams last year, as you said. 
Um, and he's probably the most unique of those four guys. But I, I trust all four of them getting the ball. Um, I think we could do really well if, it, as long as one of them, or honestly, as long as two of them are, are good to go. Um, it's not a shocking that we got both Adams and Howard back, all things considered, um, after last year. Uh, but um, it's exciting. I, I think we could really punish teams uh, if the offensive line is up to snuff, and we'll get to that. Um, there's no reason why we we'll ever have to have a back who isn't like 100% ready to go on a different snap. We could have fresh rotation the whole time because all four of those guys deserve snaps, and I think they all will play. Um, that means we probably won't have like a 1,000-yard back this year unless like Adams really separates himself, but I could see all four of them being in like the like six to eight hundred, uh, or probably like five to five to seven hundred total yard range because, like, I I, I kind of hope we just see like constant. Just obviously, if someone's really hot, you just ride them. But um, there's no reason to have anyone who isn't like really ready to to go 100 percent out there because we have four really impressive like talented players. So uh, another group like this group, I think, is outright exciting because even last year with all the struggles. Um, those two young guys looked really, really good against, you know, pretty tough defenses. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do, like hopefully with a pretty close to 100% healthy team. Yeah, I agree. This really hasn't been a group that we've been able to see the, the, the full potential of. And the fact that Tucker was able to do what he did uh, with a, you know, kind of uh, makeshift offensive line in front of him, I think is a, a great sign this year. Um, and I think really having, um, you know, uh, SU's new offensive line coach, uh, Mike Schmidt, come in, and be such a run first guy um, from his time at San Diego state, I think bodes really well for both the line, uh, which we'll get to in a few um, and, and this running backs group for sure. Uh, looking quick though, I uh, want to talk tight ends quick. The, the, the fact that we're already down one uh, going into the season and, and not great, but we kind of talked about that last week. Still uh, I, I think that, you know, Luke Benson uh, will be your starter there. I think I'll put Chris Elmore in this group, but he is a, a true fullback. I think you won't see the two of them in a ton um, at the same time, unless the offensive line really comes apart. Uh, I'm curious to see how Max Mang um, or, or Stephen Mahar kind of get involved in, in the pass game. But realistically, like it'd be great to see Benson because he's got a nice mix of size and speed out there and create some mismatches. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, out wide, I think this is a, a pretty big question mark and, and, and potentially even an even bigger question mark than, than we had going into last year. Um, just because Nikeem Johnson's gone, you know, this is a group that you probably want to shift uh, Taj Harris inside if you can. Uh, but it really depends on, you know, who's available outside. I, I think that, you know, Anthony Quilly's probably proven himself um, enough to keep one of those starting spots. And then beyond that, like I have my eye on somebody like Damian Alford or Javante Williams, two guys who are really big, they're like six, four, six, five a piece, um, just big targets. Guys could potentially go up and get it. We haven't had in a couple of years. Uh, so w- w- with luck, we're, we're looking at like a three wide receiver set that has Taj on the inside where he really operated uh, fairly well at the back half of last year, um, was able to, you know, take advantage of, of small spaces and get some yards after the catch um, while you have like Quilly get better and, and, and Alford or, or Williams be able to develop and come into their own a bit um, in their first real action. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a, a really interesting group. Um, probably the biggest unknowns of the offense um, because even like with the offensive line, while it hasn't been quality, we like have seen a bunch of those guys play. Um, yeah, Harris, I think, has kind of flown under the radar with Syracuse fans. Even um, he's just been so good. Uh, and last year, like the fact that he put up the numbers he did in a pretty broken offense is kind of remarkable. So I'm hoping he gets to have like the like type of breakout season that we saw from Tristan Jackson and Amba a couple of years ago, and, and Steve Ishmael. Um, 
I think he has the talent for it. Uh, and hopefully we can have some kind of like competent offense to get him the ball. Um, but I agree. I think sliding him inside would be great. It would create some really serious mismatches. I, I have, I think Queeley really came on last year. I was impressed by him late in the year, especially. Um, I think we have enough good bodies. Like we could find, I, I have just some, some faith that we can find two guys, Queeley uh, and someone else who can split out wide and, and, really be like those downfield stretch the field threats that we've we've seen uh have be so effective in this favors offense in the past um obviously there's no like real obvious one but yeah obviously you brought up Damian Alford you brought up Javante Williams um we have like three or four of those guys who are are really big uh mismatch types and then you throw in um if we can actually uh field an effective uh strategy with Luke Benson I just think he's such a game breaker um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago after the tight end transfer, but it, it's it's such a waste to not have him on the field all the time, just really tearing up the middle of those defenses because we saw what he could do on pretty limited, like while it was like limited snaps, like every time we touched the ball, it felt like he was exploding for a 30 yard gain. So I'll be very disappointed if we don't find a way to get him the ball and have him be one of the like big targets that helps open up things for Taj and the running game as well. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, like, I, I just think that this wide receiver group was so underutilized last year and I understand why, um, excuse the, uh, trash day movements in the background. Uh, we're recording on a Tuesday, uh, which is trash day around here versus a Monday, but uh, I don't hear anything. So lucky you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in any case, yeah, I, I think that, you know, Babers said when he first got here, this is a run first approach that, uh, that, you know, kind of lends to downfield passing. And I think we kind of got away from that to some extent. And this year kind of presents a bit of a a reset that, you know, could result in a lot more yards on the ground, but also could prevent a lot, present a lot more opportunities for this team's wide receivers. Uh, But a lot of that uh, relies on the, the offensive line, um, as we kind of alluded to earlier. And, you know, this line has been a complete like wreck for the last two years now. Uh, DeVito, I believe, is like the most sacked or one of the most sacked quarterbacks um, in the country, despite the fact that he missed most of last season. Uh, it's, it's it's not ideal. Obviously, some of that has to do with Tommy definitely just being shell-shocked at this point. But at the same time, like, there, there's been plenty of, of instances where he snaps the ball and he's immediately, like, mauled. So I, I think that hopefully we see improved, you know, reading of defenses on, on DeVito's part and going through progressions, but we also see uh, in, in improved pass blocking uh, as well from this group, especially on the interior where there's definitely been some struggles. Um, you know, Chris Bleich, the uh, Florida transfer, uh, should help out a ton um, just in terms of stability. And, and, and last year, while things were rough, they did have a pretty consistent group on for most of the year. And, and a lot of these guys do have starting experience. So I, I think on one hand, like things can't get worse. Uh, also, I, I would say, I know SU's pointed this out too in some of their media materials, like, a lot of those sacks that last year's group gave up were in the early goings and they definitely got a little bit better as the year went on. You saw, uh, you know, more run lanes as the year went on. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we see even, even a middle of the road, like, let's say like, not that I'm using any specific metric, but let's say you ended up like the 70th or 80th even ranked offensive line this year. That would be such a vast improvement over what we've seen that I think it would, it would yield at least another win or two. No, I'm I'm right there with you. I, a, I think the the Schmidt hire was really great. I think the San the San Diego State uh, offense, um, if you're trying to get to like grind out run game, that's like the offense you look at, or it's one of them. 
Um, and he's done a great job. Just like that offensive line every year was solid. Um, they had what a couple two thousand yard rushers in recent years or close to it. Like they they were so dedicated to the run game and they made the offensive line work even with you know I think probably you know, not even the level of talent that Syracuse and get all the time. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what this group. I'm excited, nervous, everything because everything I think really comes down to this offensive line group. Um, but I, I think it's great to, that we're finally getting like a new voice in there um, and really shaking things up from outside of this kind of coaching family we've had for a while here. Um, obviously we've hired other San Diego state guys, but they've been on the other side of the ball. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think they're, they're, but as you said, it doesn't need to be this vast improvement to like, you're jumping to the top quarter of the ACC. You can, if, if we got up to the middle or even like the, just the top part of the bottom half of the ACC and off the line play, it would be such a, a tremendous difference to where we're not, we're, it's not like a, just such a struggle where you don't even know if your quarterback's like two seconds to throw the ball. Um, it just needs to get to like, even below average would be just a vast improvement and give us like a, a shot at something. So I do think like offensive line is one of those things where experience matters a ton and uh, that experience playing together and that chemistry matters a lot. Um, and we do have like a fair amount of guys who have put in tons of work here um, multiple year starters uh, with, you know, some hints of success here and there. It's just been as a group, it, it hasn't ever like meshed into something. So hopefully um, adding Bleich to the, to the mix will help this year. Hopefully just all those, all that experience will eventually amount to something. I feel like we've been talking about this for years now because like we've had some of these guys around for, for three, two or three years of starters now. Um, but I do think there's like a glimmer of hope. It's been really bad. But I, I do think there are reasons for optimism. And, you know, hopefully we see week one, they just go out and they just punish Ohio. And, like, Ohio's, you know, it's a MAC team. Uh, it has a new coach. But uh, if we see, like, off the line, like, really look like a Power 5 team versus a MAC team, um, and then we, we hold our own with Rutgers and it isn't, like, a, a real mismatch and they look decent, like, we, I, I'll be very optimistic for the season. I think I'll think, you know, even if DeVito falters, if it's not because of the offensive line, we'll figure something out with Trader. We'll 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 make something work. It just that group just cannot be a total catastrophe again. It has to at least be like management. Yeah, I agree. And, and and honestly, I think that like you said, I think Schmidt is a hire that at least gets you to to a passable level, and and that automatically opens up so many more opportunities and, and means fewer three and outs. It means more effective drives. It means not tiring out this defense, um, and that, and that should pay immediate dividends um, for SU. But Dan, we'll switch over to the defense in a sec. But I uh, did want to check in with you on what you've been drinking. So uh, so we'll, we'll do a quick rundown of some beer before we get to the defense and special teams. Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to, to touch on everything because I'm in Denver this week, which means lots of beer uh, at the disposal. Um, and there'll be plenty next week as well since I'm here until Friday. Um, been to a couple of breweries so far. Went to True Brewing, which I think he was one of the ones he recommended to me. Um, had their nine uh, black IPA, which is really delicious. Uh, their prehistoric dog, which is a pale ale, which is very good. Um, actually, stopped by Blue Moon, which I know is not the most exciting brewing destination, but I had heard that like they actually have some stuff that isn't available uh, nationwide that's actually really good. Um, their Mexican chocolate brown ale was, was honestly pretty excellent. I was surprised by it. Um, they had a barrel aged uh, strong ale that was quite good. Um, uh, then I also we also touched uh, we went to our mutual friend brewing. Um, in the same River Arts District, uh, had their Inner Light uh, IPA, which is good. Their Zappa Weirding Way um, had an Avery IPA today. I'm actually going to debt over to Avery, I think, on Thursday in Boulder. 
Um, uh, so not, not done by a long shot. Um, but, uh, yeah, plenty of beer out here as, as I think anyone who is uh, familiar, familiar is aware. Um, but hopefully you'll get to at least a couple more breweries before we go. Very nice. Jealous of getting Avery. I, uh, I've never made it over there. I'm hoping that we were done to go earlier in the week and they, they're closed, I think Monday and Tuesday. So we bumped our, our Boulder day in large part because Avery opens later in the week. So fingers crossed that everything's, uh, works out there, but that's the plan. Nice. Um, some things that I had, we'll run through quick. I had from modern times, I had their, um, hazy West coast pale hill. It was a uh, rocket people. It was very good. Also had their pool zone, uh, session IPA. Absolutely excellent session. Tastes like it uh, tastes like 6%. Um, yet it's like 3.2%, uh, which is just pretty great. Also had for the first time in like years, I had a, a bomber of a West coast IPA. Um, the best ghost IPA from, uh, from modern times. It's really good. Uh, and then from Highland park and uh, cellar maker, I had Coleman IPA. Uh, that was another like hazy West coast and I had competition IPA. That was a West coast IPA as well as Timbo pills from Highland park. And that was, that was it really just Highland park and modern times this past week. I mean, if you're limited to two breweries, I think you could do worse. Yeah. That's, that's what I figured. I also had some, uh, that's what my in-laws had a random bottle of uh, Glenlivet 12 sitting around. Ooh. So I was like, huh. <laughs> well, no, I know nobody this has drinks this, so I guess I'll enjoy. Yeah, I think uh, we might just have to switch to, to like hard, hard liquor uh, hour if the season turns poor by like October. I, I, I would say I'm looking forward <laughs> to that, but, but we know I'm not. <laughs> All right, so I guess uh, looking over to the defensive line, uh, there, there has been some interviews with Josh Black. I know he definitely is expressing disappointment in how things have, things went last year, um, and, and he holds himself accountable in some ways to that because he's one of the senior leaders on the team. I don't necessarily hold him uh, accountable for it uh, as a lone entity, um, but I do think that we should expect more from the defensive line, especially given the amount of experience there. Um, for those that forget, uh, we are looking at you know Kingsley Jonathan, Josh Black, McKinley Williams, uh, Cody Roscoe, all, all seniors with, with at least four years of experience under their belt. So, Dan, I'm hoping uh, very much so that we see a better, better push from them this year as they have, you know, another offseason to adjust to the three three five scheme anyway. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's not like the offensive line where things have just, like, really underachieved. It's just you look at the names and, like, it's their guys who have been here for a while. And all of them have had, like, a fair amount of success. It's just it doesn't seem like any of them have totally put it together for one of those like great seasons outside of maybe McKinley Williams who has been such a stalwart, but between black and, uh, and Roscoe and Kingsley Jonathan and uh, even to Azama. And, and then obviously Williams is the big guy in, in the middle. Um, and Curtis Harper hopefully can, can spell him a bit. I just think there are so many like quality players that uh, I think we'll be able to piece something together, especially coming into the second year in the system, which is a pretty big change from what we were doing. Obviously they're, they're share, they share some, qualities but um overall i think we were very happy with how the change went last year and over and and aside from losing some some big players across the defense not really in the defensive line but more elsewhere i think uh we should see at least another nice step forward um but i also i think this defensive line will be will be solid I, i'm i'm not super worried about it i think we'll see like a, a number of these guys really play up to to what they're capable of especially if the offensive takes some pressure off of them which i think is a big factor yeah, I agree there. Um, would note that Tuazama is no longer with the program, but we ha- we do have Caleb Okachuku. I forgot about it. Yeah, no, I'll get that. We've had a lot, the, lot uh, of departures. Yeah, I I went through all of uh, all of your position previews uh, on the way back from Colorado Springs today, 
And like I noted a number of the guys who I knew hadn't uh, hadn't transferred, but I forgot about Tuazama. All good. Yeah, he, uh, him and uh, Lee Pogba actually enrolled at East Mississippi Community College, um, I think, yesterday. So East Mississippi Community College, if you're if you're watching them on 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 local TV in Mississippi, uh, they might be pretty good this year. Yeah, I mean they're usually pretty good. So still up to him. Um, shout out to uh, Last Chance U, where they were the I think feature of the first couple seasons. Um, don't think anymore, but uh, yeah, good luck to him on whatever he, you know, wherever the college football takes him from here. Obviously, they should have plenty of opportunities coming from a pretty top-end Juco. Agreed, agreed. Um, then we move to the linebacker group. I think the linebacker group was one that you and I were both pretty concerned about last year. I think everybody was, uh, realistically, given just how young that group was, how much turnover the linebackers had had. Also, just the, the, the adjusting roles for the linebackers. They really have to do a lot in the three-three-five scheme. Um, yeah, they'll have some help from from the rover, and we'll get there when we talk defensive backs. But like, they it was basically an entire like the scheme change. I think most most affected them um, of, of any position, and yet uh, I think we ended up seeing like a really nice group emerge at the top line with uh, Mikel Jones, um, who was the co leader for interceptions in the ACC. Uh, Jeff Kantonarku, who had some really good games at middle linebacker, and uh, Stefan Thompson, who you know played strong side and really really. Um, put up some great numbers. I know I was looking at um, like returning players um, in the ACC and as far as like edge, I think as far as edge rushers go, I think he was one of the top, I want to say like 10 to 15 against the run um, on pro football focus, which was surprising um, and impressive. And then obviously, you know, a guy like Marlo Wax um, who, who came in and, uh, and, and really, you know, kind of helped provide some rest, but also like put up some great numbers of his own, like, He's another disruptive force in the middle linebacker spot. And I, I, I think that this is a really good group in the top four, maybe five, if you want to count Steve Linton, who had some action last year. But um, I am curious what we like if we have to go to the second line of guys, then you start getting into a lot of, you know, true freshmen who haven't played. Um, and, and, and I think that really that this group is, is very good and, and I think is very interesting, but I also think is very reliant on, on health um, more than, more than potentially the other two groups within this defense. Yeah, it's definitely not as deep and, and that can be a problem because so much is asked for them in, in the middle of this defense. But um, this is definitely a group that really benefited from having uh, kind of a, a stairs um, senior group ahead of them. Uh, like you just, we have so many guys underclassmen who have a ton of, experience in that group and, and have produced at a really high level. I know it was a really big concern going into last year. They really were not the issue. I mean, we didn't really have a major, I think the biggest issue with our defense is just defending the run. And that a lot of that comes back to, you know, we are pretty light up front in general, especially with this scheme that we're going to give something there, something away there, but they really filled in and like, there isn't one of those top five guys that I'm not super uh, impressed with. And uh, I feel really good about them all playing. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see this this group again. I think that they should take another step forward. Um, hopefully, them and the defensive line can take you know some of the pressure off the defensive backs, who I think we both uh, you know we'll get into it in a second. But um, I think we still have pretty high hope for after all the departures there. But um, realistically, like I think this could end up being like one of the better groups in the ACC, which is exciting. Um, and it's something that we had like you know not that long ago, where we had like really consistent linebacker play for a long time. We've kind of fallen off the wayside there. I think we're starting to to really ramp that back up and we've recruited really well, well here, which is nice as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Um, this is definitely a group that I'd put in the top half, maybe at the bottom part of that top half, but nonetheless has some nice upside. I, I think that, you know, looking at the defensive backs though, 
Yeah, th this is a group that it was. There's a lot of focus in, in, in previews around SU losing, you know, three NFL players. Um, you know, Cisco and, and Melifon, who were drafted uh, this past year, and then Trill Williams ended up um, first signing with the Saints and then ending up getting claimed off waivers by the Dolphins. And it seems like all three stand a pretty good chance to make rosters this year. So we could have, um, you know, three different defensive backs and join the NFL ranks. I think a lot of folks are looking at, you know, how SU replaces those guys. But realistically, SU only played, you know, two games with all of those guys um, last year. And, and that ultimately provided a lot of opportunities for um, a lot of young guys that we'll get to here um, to see the field. And in particular, like another addition that that is getting overlooked is the fact that like Eric Coley was out like starting the second half of the UNC game and we didn't see him again all season. So the, I think this, this team is actually bringing back a ton between Coley. Uh, you have Garrett Williams, a corner, I, I think of the safety position, like having Amon Greenwood, Ben Labras, Jahad Carter, Rob Hanna, like all guys who played a ton last year. And then you have like some less, not less like certain options, but like, you know, Adrian Cole and Chase Atkinson come back. Um, Deuce Chestnut, uh, you know, the best player in the 2021 class, seems like somebody who's getting enough first team reps that he might start right off the bat. And that's got to be exciting. Um, pairing him with Garrett Williams, who was, you know, quietly one of the better cover corners in the, in the conference last year. And then, you know, New Mexico State um, safety transfer, Jason Simmons, another guy who like played really well a couple of years ago um, and, and, and is someone who like looked good with the Aggies. And, and while he hasn't played in a couple of years, I think is someone who can just let those, you know, less experienced um defensive backs kind of come along a little bit more. Um, and, and personally, like I'm, I'm really, really excited about this group. And, and I think that there's, that they're another one, like they might, they might be like right outside the top half of the league, but again, high upside. And, and I think another year in this system only helps these guys and, and, and those minutes, even on the losing team, I think all those minutes last year that, that, and snaps that they got to play, um, is, is only going to benefit this team, you know, going forward. Yeah. I think like between the linebackers and defensive backs, while last year was kind of a lost season, if we see the kind of progress that we're hoping for this year, you can kind of point back to like, yes, the the one the one win year was like really awful, and we don't want to repeat it, and it's not something that you want to like hang like anything on. But there was a lot of opportunity for guys in those two position groups and running back um, to really make strides uh, when like the pressure wasn't like off, because obviously like if you're playing college football, you're out there to try to win every week. But like uh, the 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 chaos of that season kind of allowed us to get looks at guys and hopefully it, it pays off in a big way this year. But I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm really excited about this group. Obviously we lose a lot, but pretty much all the young guys who stepped up last year, like really impressed me. I, I didn't, I didn't think there was one guy who looked out of place or looked like he couldn't be a really strong player by his sophomore or junior year. So I think this, um, I think it's not totally unrealistic to say that like all three tiers of this defense couldn't end up being in the top half of the ACC. I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, and really look at last year with so much inexperience, how Tony White was able to quickly kind of coach up a group with a new scheme without much of an offseason, without much of a spring practice. I mean, they only had two before things were suspended. Like, I think that we're, we're – I'm not doubting the advanced metrics. I think this is still going to be uh, not the easiest year for SU, but I will say that it can't account for that, and it can't account for what happens when you get a full offseason to implement a scheme, what happens when you have all this experience coming back from that implementation now with – going into a second year in that system. I think White showed uh, the high upside he has as a coach and, and, and really 
um, you know, if, if Babers keeps his job past this year and we'll get to that whole future, um, it, I think, you know, Tony White probably has a lot to do with that. Yeah, it, the Tony White poll, I mean, just the defense last year in just incredibly difficult circumstances was a bright, as bright as a, a spot as you can have for the one one year. But I feel like I just keep on saying it. Like, I think there's enough upside there where if the offense in general can just get to like average, um, workable, can store three touchdowns in a game, like we're going to be in most of these games. Like, I, I think this is a tough schedule because there aren't that many easy wins. But I think there are also, being in the ACC, there's only so many like true losses. So um, if we have like a, let's say a top six or seven defense in the ACC, if we can get like, to the to the nine or ten range on offense and like we're not great but we're we're still a threat to store and we have some interesting players like we're gonna compete for for a bull bid so um yeah it's it's easier said than done but uh i do think there is some reason for optimism and maybe this is like because we i feel like we've entered the last two years with like even more optimism and we've just been kind of beaten down like maybe we're we're gonna kind of do that like reverse reverse jinx thing and this is the year where we finally break through after like really going all the way into the dirt. Hey, maybe. Uh, I'd love to see <laughs> it's it. A nice uh, <laughs> uh, talk to special teams quick. Uh, really the biggest loss, uh, and, and no disrespect to Nolan Cooney, who was a, an All-American last year, but I, I think the biggest loss here is really just going to be Justin Lustig and, and, and the fact that he's now at Vanderbilt. Uh, Lustig kind of ushered in a, a new era of, of, of complete um, special teams play, and, and SU consistently had one of the top you know, two to three units um, there in the conference the last three seasons. Now, uh, without him and without any full-time uh, staffer on special teams, they're the only ACC team that can say that. Um, though I will note, they're also one of the only uh, ACC teams with a specific to special teams quality control coach um, here in Blair, Blair Kavanaugh, who's been here for a few years. So I don't love the the trade-off, but at the same time, like I wouldn't say that they're that they're you know all the way up the river with, with, without, without a paddle, so to speak. Um, yeah, Dan, I don't think we need to bother talking about Andre Schmidt because he's obviously extremely good. Um, but punting-wise, do you think we see a drop-off for James Williams, or do you think Williams is able to kind of pick off or pick up where Cooney left off here, given the fact that he was such a highly rated uh, punter, even if he wasn't at the level necessarily of like a, a Sterling Hoffrichter? Um, I think I, I'm pretty bullish on Williams. I mean, he's just kind of follows in the – the the line of pretty I mean as highly recruited as uh, as you get with punters like he's more of that uh, that mold um, that we had with like Hoffrichter than even uh, Cooney who was really good last year um, I just think like we've had just enough uh, success in a row there that we kind of know what we're doing at that position so I'm not super worried about it even if he doesn't turn into like an NFL punter I think um, he has enough of a pedigree where he should be an effective player there. Um, and, you know, I don't think most people expected Riley Dixon to become what he did or Nolan Tooney to, to be an All-American type player last year. So, yeah, I just think there's a there's enough. Um, we just have enough of like a we're, we're kind of on a roll of that position in general. It's it's probably not the one you would love to to have like just system success at. But, you know, we'll take it. And it is important. So um, I feel pretty good about it. He was he was highly he was highly rated. He, you know, checks all the boxes that we you hope to have if you are the school that prides itself on punting as we've become for, for better or worse. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like going back to Rob Long, there, there, there's been very few seasons where we haven't nailed it um, on, on the punting front. So we've like maybe one year where the punting was. Yeah. Shitty. And like since it was between, was it between Long and Dixon. 
Yeah, I think so. Where it was, I forgot who it was, um, but yeah, there was somebody. We had like one there. or two, one or two years where we just like kind of rotated guys, and then Ditson took over full time, and we've been off to the races since then. Yeah, um, I guess speaking of off to the races, um, we do lose our our main return guy from last year, uh, Nakeem Johnson. I feel like Jawar uh, Jordan was also somebody who we saw as a potential option at returns, and he's also gone. Trevor Pena seemed to look pretty good on kick returns last year. He took one back for a touchdown uh, last season, which was nice. Um, but really, we're kind of starting from scratch there. I think Pena handles at least kicks, if not punts as well. Um, I've slotted in Jihad Carter as the kind of backup there. But honestly, I think it's anybody's guess who uh, who, who else is returning a- along with Pena. Yeah, I think uh, we have some exciting options. I thought Pena looked really good uh, in the few opportunities we gave him. Obviously, he scored um carter's super athletic we have you know a number of other guys so I'm, I'm not super worried we've done i think there have been years where we could have done more with the return game but i think uh we've started to pick it up um granted returning in general is kind of uh dipped in football as a, as a whole but um the side of the group i'm super concerned about agreed um all right moment of truth dan how many wins uh does this team collect and which games are they all right this is this is so tough <laughs> um, there's so many toss-ups this year. Um, I am going to say I'm going to go with five wins. I think it'll be five, but I think it'll be enough of a. I think it'll be five with a lot of really close losses, and I think it'll be enough for Babers to hold on for another year. Um, even if I think fans will, some fans will be really upset. Um, I think we win at Ohio. I think we beat Albany. Um, I think we are going to win. Uh, one of those two Louisville and NC State road games, um, I'm not totally sure which, probably Louisville, um, I think will be BC, and I think we'll beat Pitt. All right. Uh, I guess for me, I I'm, I think five. Like I, I'm doing the uh, Why Syracuse Will Finish 5 and 7 article on the blog tomorrow, and actually I think it, it kind of aligns with what I think is going to happen. I actually see a surprise win against Rutgers. Um, I think they beat Ohio. I think they beat Albany. So I actually think they start three and zero and get everybody pretty jacked up um, before losing four in a row and getting everybody pretty pissed off. <laughs> uh, and, and then from there, you know, I think you're only looking at two wins between uh, BC, Louisville, NC State, and, and Pitt. Um, I would, I would say Pitt is one of those wins, and, and, and I, I will regret that. I'm sure. Um, just given recent history. Oh, I don't feel good about it either. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's it's only happened like a couple times in the last decade and a half. So uh, not ideal. And and the other one, um, I think actually could end up being Virginia Tech, to be honest. Like not because I think Virginia Tech's bad, just because I think Virginia Tech is not as good as they have been, as we discussed during the Coastal Podcast. And I also think that like by that point in the season, like Fuente might just be like done. And, 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 and if, if the Hoagies do not look good, like that could just be – a game that they're just not prepped for. I'd feel, I'd feel differently to be honest, if it was like a Thursday or Friday nighter, um, you know, at lane stadium, but, but given the fact that it'll probably be like a nooner um, in Blacksburg, uh, I'm, I'm a little less concerned about that one. Yeah. I mean, I said five wins, but like we could, the, the Rutgers game, the Liberty game, um, you could even say at Florida state wake at Virginia tech. Um, they're all winnable. Like, None of those teams really stand out. Obviously, Florida State could have a big rebound year. Liberty was really good last year um, and returned most of that team. Um, Virginia Tech is is kind of uh, in a weird place, as is Louisville. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly there are certainly more than five wins on the schedule. I just I struggle to see uh, Syracuse being consistent enough to pull that off. But I also think that I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if this was like a five win year. But like the underlying metrics look a lot better than they have in a while, and it just seems like a team that is back heading in the right direction for better or worse. I think that's a tough sell uh, for, for Babers if you have yet another losing season, but right. um, I think I, I just struggle to see this year being like the complete abomination that last year was. I even think it'll be better than two years ago. Obviously like I'm talking about like a similar win total, but I think like you'll just see more uh, it'll, it'll look, it'll look better if you actually like watch the team. So I'm hoping at least, uh, and obviously you get to six and I think you, there's there's really no question sure yeah no i completely agree there and honestly like i i think five it's a competitive five i think like if you don't get blown out by clemson um but more importantly if you stick with the games like like nc state should be pretty good um bc i think i mean we talked about this people a little bit too high on bc perhaps but like if, if in the games that you lose um you lose competitively and, and if you find a way to like maybe split the toss-ups and, and this year there's definitely a lot of those um, you you can get yourself to five and and, and give a reason why Babers should stick around. I, I I do think that you know SU is usually defined by what happens in the toss up games, and typically we haven't done all that well. The one year we did was 2018 when we did extremely well there, um, and we still ended up losing to Pitt anyway. So um, I, I would say anyone expecting, and I've seen this from fans, like folks expecting us to be able to beat Pitt, BC, Wake, uh, and NC State every year, like it's just unrealistic. Uh, we don't do that. Like that's not something that we're able to do with any sort of frequency. And, and putting that on us is uh, none of those teams do that either. It's not yeah. just us, but like that's the reason the ACC is what it is. is that none of those teams has like risen up to be like above their uh, peers. A, a pets. Yeah, like no one, no one outstrips their peer group in this league except for Clemson and occasionally Florida State. Um, and then it's everyone else like on a year by year basis. Totally. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think everyone needs to kind of level set there that like, it doesn't mean that you accept mediocrity, but it does accept that like, it, it's highly unlikely you're going to sweep those four teams um, in, in, in a given year, especially when um, two of those games are going to be on the road um, every season as well. So it, it is what it is there. I, again, not happy about it, but I'll take two and two. If we can get to two and two, I think that, that, that that's a positive there. Dan, do you think that there's any world where Baber survives a four up competitive four and eight? Like, let's say it's four and eight, but then like they beat Clemson. Oh, um, honestly, I don't know. Uh, if they Buy beat Clemson, <laughs> if they beat Clemson and they look like, and, and they lose like four games by a total of like 10 points, like maybe it just becomes really hard to sell eventually at, at a certain point to your, to your fan base. Um, maybe it was like four and eight, but you beat Clemson, you're really competitive. And there's like a host of injuries. Uh, even then though, I think it's hard to go back to that well all the time, even if it's a valid thing. So I would say probably not, but it's hard to say without actually seeing what the results are. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, obviously, not all four and eight seasons are created equally, but I would say that like you can sell four and eight, and like you're the plucky underdog that upset Virginia Tech or Clemson, and like that's a reason to like keep this train going in year one and two, maybe even in year three. But once you get to year six, it becomes very difficult. Even even though you improved your win total by three year over year. Um, it's, it's also your fault that you've, you know, dropped down to one to begin with. Right. So, it, it's, yeah, I, it's, I honestly think maybe like the, maybe the, the biggest, the best pathway to that is if you are just really bad at the start and you switch quarterbacks and you win like four of your last 
what whatever like and like the team just looks way better under Schrader maybe that's like a, a situation in which you can do that yeah I, I totally agree and again a lot of this is just dependent on the buyout like we really don't know what the administration is thinking about the buyout we don't know what the buyout is if we did I think we'd have a much better read on things like you know SU is in Ohio State or Clemson or South Carolina or numerous other teams um, which the bigger football culture and football booster culture like we don't have $15 million laying around to pay a buyout plus the buyout of a coach that we're potentially hiring away from somewhere else. Uh, so I, I think that fans have to be realistic about things that like the buyout was a smart idea at the time. It's how the game is played. Um, sometimes it bites you in the ass. Sometimes it helps you out a ton. Um, if Babers had been, had stayed on track to get hired by USC or Florida, like people thought he would have at the end of the 2018 season, then you know what? Like, this becomes a stroke of genius. SU potentially gets a paycheck of 20 to $30 million, depending on how big the buyout was. Um, and we're able to hire the next coach, fix the practice facility, add some good assistance and, and what have you. Instead, we might end up in a situation where we're paying, um, you know, a couple different salaries. Uh, but I, I'm hoping and, and, and that, that, that this is not a conversation that, that we're having in October and November. Um, and, and hopefully the, the, the wheels stay on the track this year. Yeah, it's like there are plenty of like there are plenty of contracts that get handed out in the sport that are just completely ridiculous from like the moment they happen. Um, the Babers one really, I don't think anyone had major issues with. Like the the 2018 season was pretty remarkable, even if like the underlying numbers weren't quite as good as like the 10 wins. Um, the team just seemed to really be like putting it all together, and it, it seemed like something that was pretty sustainable, at least in terms of being competitive, if not like a 10 win team all the time. But um, yeah, sometimes this doesn't work out. We'll, we'll see. I think the, the story is yet to be written there. But um, at the same time, I think if it's a losing season, even if it's like a pretty competitive five win season, <laughs> it's hard to uh, it's hard to really argue that like they definitely shouldn't fire him. Like I think it, it becomes a hard sell. So um, yeah, it's it, we're still very much up in the air. I think it, it's it's pretty make or break this year. Obviously, things can happen that that reduce that, but um, it's hard to see uh most other alternatives to like if he doesn't get to a bowl it's probably over so we'll see hopefully it's again hopefully we we win like the first three games and we we really get on track and we're like a, a 500 acc team and you get to six and then i think you kind of remove all that so you know knock on wood i think we're i think we're due for like some some decent luck in in this sport because like 2018 it was a great year it certainly wasn't like a sell your soul to the devil year so um i don't think any of us have done that Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's a great, uh, if we had more time, it'd be a great segue into a uh, Spider-Man uh, trailer conversation. But I, I haven't even seen it. I've been so I'm busy the last couple of days. I haven't even had a chance to watch the trailer. Hopefully I'll get that. I'll, I'll get to that three minute video at some point soon. But <laughs> I know everyone's super stoked about it. Fair enough. Yeah, it was definitely a good one. I uh, I, re I recommend it for those who haven't seen it yet. Um, but Dan, anything else before we uh, head out today? No, looking to uh, wrap up my uh, my pre college football vacation and uh, really excited to get to get to work here. Um, I'm excited for the couple of games we have on Saturday, and then yeah, I'm starting to really get amped up for this team. Just preparing for this made me um, obviously like my expectations are pretty muted, but I, I do think there's a a, a a season in this football team that could be pretty fun. So uh, hopefully we get it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing for me, obviously I want wins, but if I don't get wins, I want fun. Um, and, and that was something you could say about most of the 2016 and 17 seasons. So yeah, we will, we will see 
Well, Dan, enjoy the rest of your vacation. And for everybody else listening, uh, thanks for tuning in. Next week, we will be on the, uh, the game preview schedule. Uh, and, uh, what a world. We're- interesting and weird and fun all at the same time. But um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trainings and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Revelist to Podcasts, and Go Orange. Go Orange.